0: Arizona Sports, the local sports leader.
1: Yeah, could I have a number three with cheese and uh, a large coffee? And does this smell good?
0: Wolfing down your lunch. <laughs> Serving up today's top sports stories with Wolf and Lou. Presented by Stadium Swim at Circa Resort and Casino, Las Vegas' ultimate sports fan destination. All right, let's do this. It's like four degrees in the studio, Wolf. You feel that? I do feel that. It feels good. Keeps you awake. Fired up. Keeps you hungry for the show. I turned it off. Yeah, it didn't work. It's time for Wolf and Down Your Lunch. Aaron Maloney is here. Aaron?
2: So it was another rough showing for the Suns in Dallas as they trailed by 26 at halftime, ultimately falling to the Mavericks, 130 to 111. What do you guys think happened?
1: (laughs) That's what I want to know right now. What happened, man? I mean, this was a non-competitive game. It felt like Game 6 at American Airlines Arena. Once again, felt like that last year. Game 6 or Game 7. Of course, more like Game 7 probably because it was non-competitive from the beginning. First quarter, midway through the first quarter was basically non-competitive for the Suns. I, I don't know what happened, but I do start to wonder about do the Mavericks own the Phoenix Suns are they in the heads of the Phoenix Suns well i
0: can tell you what happened is i wanted to break two different tvs but i wasn't at my house so i didn't do it not like i would have at my house either but that was that was the uh, sort of emotion that game elicited I'm assuming, I mean, you watch Dallas has figured something out on the Phoenix Suns. They have figured out a way to to contest their shots, to make them rush their shots, to defend them better. Dallas is not some amazing defensive team, though. And so I think the bigger worry, Wolf, is do other teams look at it and say, "Okay, Dallas has the blueprint to make life tough on the Suns because other teams beat the Suns, but they still look like the Suns. When Dallas beats the Suns, the Suns look like a rec team from the gym. So what is going on?
2: So our Sanderson-Ford poll question is up now at ArizonaSports.com, and it asks, which Suns result against Dallas this season better represents your current feelings on the team? So, the win in the season opener or the loss on Monday?
0: Uh, I mean, I'll go with the win in the season opener. I, I don't think the sky is falling on the Suns. I just don't have a whole lot of confidence when they play Dallas the next two times this season. But I'll go with the
1: win in the season opener. Yeah, I would go exactly the way Luke did as well.
2: So 52% say the loss on Monday. 48% say the win in the season opener. Well, that about That sounds like
0: a lot of people worried about the Suns, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, how it does. could you How could you equate them with what you saw last night and feel good? Might be time for a listeners-only meeting on that. I'm just saying. I want that 52% to call in.
2: The Cardinals are getting ready to face the Patriots on Monday Night Football, and yesterday Bill Belichick was on WEEI and discussed going up against Kyler Murray. All
3: right, well, as always, it comes down to discipline
0: defense, and there's no one man that can stop um, Jackson or Josh Allen or Murray, whoever those type of players are. It's, they, they can do a lot of different things. Um, so it's good team defense. And uh, playing with good, good awareness, good leverage, um, good discipline, and, and obviously good tackling. Once you get a chance to, uh, once you get a chance to get them.
2: How do you think the cards match up with the Patriots?
0: Let me just say Bill Belichick Belichick answers questions like that, like like a, like a band that's had to play the exact same hit for like thirty years.
2: Well, do you wanna hear one more yeah. from that interview? So Can I
1: just say this quickly? He's just holding Kylo Murray in his arms and rocking him back and forth. Ah, This is what he does. Bill Belichick. He actually lumped him in, and I think from a talent perspective, rightfully so, with Josh Allen and Lamar Jackson. See how he does that? You don't even know that he's rocking you back and forth until it's too late.
2: There was also this question that was asked to Belichick yesterday on WEEI. Mac Jones, after the game, has said that he would like to be coached harder. He said he needs to play better, but he's he would also like to be Coach harder, how do you make sure that uh, whoever your quarterback is, they're getting what they need to give their best on the field? Yeah, well, we
3: coach everybody the best we can
1: every week. Uh, that's not going to change. <laughs> wow. Okay, wait a minute. Matt Jones, he wants to be coached harder? Boy, define harder for me, please. Honestly, what is that? Hard coaching Mac Jones? I want to know the context of of how that quote came about, don't you? Yes, but still, the fact that he said that, um, I want want to be coached harder. It doesn't seem like Bill Belichick, or even Matt Patricia for that matter, would not be coaching him hard to begin with. In a sense, you don't have to yell and scream at him to be hard. You don't. You just have to be
0: resolute. That the without context of the Mac Jones quote, that sounds like a guy that isn't cut out to be a Bill Belichick type player. Just that, like, look, that quote may have come from a. Hey, do you feel like you guys are being coached too hard? And he's like, no, I'd rather be coached harder. Then, okay, that's fine. That's why I need to know the context. But if he's just like, oh, I'm not getting yelled at enough. Like, okay, then you might. That's
1: not changing. <laughs> so what are you saying? Are you not working to the degree you need to? So you need somebody to yell at you? You need
0: to be motivated because that sounds like exactly what you your
1: were saying job? earlier in the show. How dare you? I want to hear the
0: context because I don't want to just throw Mac Jones under the bus. We will no. find
2: the context,
0: but but I will say this: I mean, if you look at the Patriots, that they win their games <laughs> with their defense, not with Mac
1: Jones. <laughs> We're gonna find the context. Oh, I mean, we had I'm to telling find you it. Right ask now, the question. Watch this, <laughs> Abracadabra.
0: All right, that was uh, Wolf and Down Your Lunch. Thank you, Aaron, (laughs) as as always. uh, Rock and Roll Hall of Famers, the Red Hot Chili Peppers, are heading to State Farm Stadium May 14th with the Strokes. Tickets go on sale this Friday at 10 a.m., but you can win a pair of tickets now by heading to the contest page on ArizonaSports.com. When we come back, are the Mavericks in the Sun's heads? It's Wolf and Luke on Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Wolf and Luke. Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Well, if I think you missed this before, I didn't point it out during the break on purpose. There was a great uh, scroll across one of the screens here, the TV screens in the studio.
1: Damn.
0: I won't say what network it was on, but it was uh, the Lakers have won three in a row, all right? So the headline across the bottom of the screen, the question that they were all answering was, how encouraged are you by the Lakers start to the season? Damn. Uh, I would say... I'm more encouraged by 23 other teams that have better records than the Lakers. That's, that's what I would say. I would say I'm 24th most encouraged by the Lakers. Starting that's awesome right there. A little shot to the what? Lakers. Why are they headlining anything? They that's are 10 beautiful. and 12. They've won three in a row. Amazing. You may as well just plan the parade through downtown Los Angeles right now. Yes. Uh, although I can't make any jokes about parades today because the Phoenix Suns went into that, to Dallas last night. I, I was assuming that was the Suns. Hopefully that was the Suns that left because they got a pretty tough game against Boston tomorrow. So look, it's one game out of eighty two, but if you isolate the Dallas games, this is now four straight games going back to game six and game seven of last year's series, Wolf where the the Suns have looked Horrible against Dallas for basically all but one half. Yeah. The second half of the opening game this season where they came back and won 107-105 after starting down by 17 points at halftime.
1: Yeah, you know, I know the Suns beat the Mavs in game one, right, of the season, but they were down 22 at the half. And we all remember that. They mounted a legendary comeback in that to win the game, but... The Mavericks know how to build a 20-point lead on the Suns, don't they? <laughs> quickly. Very quickly. Early in the game. Very quickly. And it happened again. I mean, there, there it was. It was, you know, the Mavs had a 25-13 lead, and suddenly Monty Williams, Monty called the timeout because it was like, Hey, listen, we, we know it's getting a little sideways here, and we know it's only 12 points right now. Well, we don't want it to go to 20, and guess what happened? The Mavericks scored the next eight points. And, and suddenly, it was 33-15, to 15, just like that. And um, the Mavericks seem to be in the heads of the Phoenix Suns. I, and I know this. I, this has happened from time to time. I think a team just seems to have your number. You were talking to Jay Williams about this very thing earlier. And I think Jay said it very best, he's the hunter, when I followed up on that.
0: Yeah, I have the quote right
1: here. I love to. what Jay Williams said about that. I am always the hunter. <laughs> well, I have never hunted. Yes. And everything I do in my life,
3: regardless if I won a national championship my sophomore year, that blank never happened my junior year regardless of I was the first player in Chicago to get a triple-double since Michael Jordan, it never happened the next game. I think the, the teams that learn to attack instead of trying to repel
1: attacks, those are the teams that have a mental and psychological advantage. Interesting. Edge, not always the hunter. There it is, uh-huh. right there. I mean, honestly, how collectively and individually can the Phoenix Suns avoid this going forward? Attack. Go into attack mode, period. Not responding to what the Mavericks do. Make them respond to what you do. But that takes a lot of initiative. Well, the other thing Jay Williams said, that was his response
0: when you asked him about it. When I asked him, he said, you know, look at look at Patrick Mahomes and Joe Burrow right now, okay? The Chiefs are, I think most people would agree right now, the best team in the NFL. Buffalo's right there, too. In Philadelphia, Philadelphia. Certainly. Let's say those three teams. Patrick Mahomes, the best quarterback in the NFL, and yet three straight games now, including a playoff game, he has lost to Joe Burrow and the Cincinnati Bengals. It's not a bad example, but I would say with the Suns, it." Like, when the Chiefs play the Bengals, mm-hmm. they still look like the Chiefs. Yeah. They're not getting right. the result they want, but they still. the Suns don't even look like the Phoenix oh, Suns what, when they play Dallas.
1: It blows your mind, and it has to begin with Luka Doncic and Devin Booker. It has to, Luke. That's where I think the tip of the iceberg is. It looks like Luka, it looks like he got under the skin of Devin Booker. And for whatever reason right now, I mean, Luka came out and scored 24 points in the first half. 24 points in the first half, and Devin Booker was struggling mightily. Oh my goodness, he started all for 7 from the floor is how he started the game. You just don't see um, Devin Booker struggle to that degree, and you have to wonder right now, is, is Luka Doncic... In the head of Devin Booker? See, I, I don't I don't think it's that. But I
0: think where you have a problem is, okay, Devin Booker starts 0 for 7. Here were the Suns, the, the halftime stats last night. The Mavericks were shooting 56%. The Suns were shooting 34%. Yeah. If Devin Booker's not going to have a lot of games where he starts 0 for 7. But if he does, that shouldn't just mean you're down 24. It shouldn't be, okay, you know what, Book's shot. He just didn't have the shot tonight. Okay, well, we're down 24 then in the second quarter. Well, there's nobody else on the team. I mean, chances are you're not going to win playoff games if Devin Booker can't make a shot. Yeah. But it shouldn't just be over in the second quarter because he starts cold. And that's what it is when they play Dallas. So Booker doesn't have a shot tonight. I guess we'll see you on Wednesday.
1: Yeah. I, I don't know what to say about this, Bayson. I really don't because there wasn't, a, there wasn't a team that ever got into my head. Um, I I think it was probably the other way around. (laughs) Can I just say that? And I didn't get into the heads of another team where we beat them. They were just thinking, kill that guy. (laughs) Whoever, what's this guy? Whoever. whoever, No, there were bounties that were put out on me. Thank you to all Wedgebusters out there. (laughs) Thank Thank you, you, Wedgebusters. I mean, honestly right now, I'm not trying to say in terms of winning or losing games, but there were there were teams that I got under their skin so much that they were like, Hey, twenty four, kill him. Whenever you get the chance, kill him. Well, the issue, the issue here, whether the, whether Dallas. It's bringing back warm memories. (laughs) It's
0: the happiest I've seen you all day. Whether, whether Dallas is in the Suns' heads or not, and I don't think we're there yet, but I think we're starting to get to a crossroads. It's undeniable. Dallas plays with additional (laughs) confidence when they play the Suns, because it's not just, okay, yeah, Luca, you know, he's going to put up his points. Luca puts up his points every game, but. How do you explain some of these other guys? We saw it last year in the playoffs. You see it last night and you just have you know, Josh Green's just gonna hit everything. He's got sixteen Green. points.
1: Call a timeout, Josh Green's on fire.
0: <laughs> Seriously, Christian Wood now has and Christian Wood's a decent player, but he's got forty three points now in two games against the Suns this season. If it were just Luca going off, that would be game one and game two of the playoff series last year. So whether whether uh, there's an explanation for why the suns look so weird when they play Dallas, the bottom line is these guys that they are leaving open to hit threes. Spencer Diwinndy just yeah, you know, just hit five threes. Like Spencer Diwiddie's a fine player. I know he shouldn't
1: just put you away in the second quarter. It's just so weird, Luke. It's like Salagadu lamentcha La Bibbity boppity boo. Put them together and what do you got? Bibbity boppity boo. That's what that was like Can I, I it, it, it feels like that. Nonsense. In other words, what you're seeing out of the Suns,
0: they just don't look like the same team. And and it's it's not, this is not, hey, they haven't looked like the same team in a couple weeks. No, it's one game against Dallas. And if I told you, hey, you know, I watched the Suns last night. They looked weird. They couldn't hit shots. They looked lost. They couldn't defend the three. DA was matched up against the other team's best player all night, it felt like. You would say, oh, it must have been Dallas. Yeah. must have been Dallas. Yeah, not the best. Not the best team in the league, just the team that seems to confuse the Suns. Here's DeAndre Ayton after the game. And, you
4: know, it's another big game as well. It's right. exciting. Um, me, I think I was fun tonight as well, though. A lot of fun with my team's punches in the mouth and uh, having the chance to answer that. This is so fun to me and, um, that's what I look forward to. You know, about turning our team ready, you know, put a butt whooping on us and let us go back in the lab and you know, uh, find, figure out what we need to do. If we do make shots during games, and how we, how we you know, adjust.
0: There adjust. Might be some truth to what he said there at the end, but I will tell you, Da,
1: I did not have fun watching that game. <laughs> that was so good right there. Honestly, what did he just say? What did Da just say at right the there? Very I just end. want to be, no, I, I, just overall. What is the, what is the gist that you got right there? Just the fact that it, it's. It's fun to actually get your butt handed to you from time to time.
0: Is that what he said? That's what he said. No, he did, He did. he's right in the sense that the Suns have really not gotten whipped all season. They got whipped in the first half against Dallas the first time, but they won the game. But, again, they had seven losses going into last night's game, and five of them were by two points or less. Yeah. So maybe this is a, hey, you just got embarrassed again by this team. Maybe go back in the lab and kind of work on some stuff. Yeah.
1: They, can I talk to you, Dave? <laughs> I mean it's just I love this guy. I really do. It's just man, um Oh wow. I I you know, I, does it really feel good? Does it really feel you know, somebody get your butt handed to you? You know, um no it doesn't. I I I to disagree would be Andre.
0: Most
1: I of us do. I,
0: I, I, get the value of okay. Wow, that was kind of a wake up call. Let's get back in there and did work it, did, on some did, stuff. That part wake is different. Up call exactly That's right different. against
1: anybody but these guys. Not right? Dallas. Anybody yes. No, no more wake up guys. I don't need another wake up call
0: from Dallas because every time we get a wake up call from Dallas, I wonder if we're gonna wake up. It's like, uh, <laughs> it's
1: like da. I, uh, I mean, D, wake up his lack of awareness overall and what he said yeah if, you know if if that's some team that is out there like the Houston Rockets was that a wake up call it, yeah you know what you got beat by an inferior team that should have been the way the the Dallas Mavericks that's fun Man,
0: I'm not taking come the average call anymore. Come on, man. Wake me up. Text us your thoughts to the Fanduel text line at 620-620 Right now, we come back. Kyler Murray has been in the spotlight a lot this season. Some of his teammates are sticking up for their quarterback. We'll get you what they had to say next. It's Wolf and Luke on Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Wolf and Luke, Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Before we get back to the Cardinals, Wolf, you brought this up during one of the breaks. What's, um, is Odell Beckham
1: ever going to sign with a team? Yeah. What, what is going on He's with OBJ? To every team in the NFL? Now he's visiting Dallas. It's got to be. It's got to be from OBJ, right? I mean, it has to be. This is him dragging his feet. I would imagine. If I were going to sign Odell Beckham, I'd like to have him for some games, not just
0: for like the opening round of the playoffs. Yeah. If I'm going to pay you, I'd like you know maybe you play more than two games
1: with us. Yeah, maybe he's, he just doesn't feel healthy. Maybe that's what it is, right there. Maybe. And you know, getting over an injury mentally really can be an issue. But that would make me. Leary if I were a team trying to sign him.
0: Well he's, he's waited so long and I know some of it was the injury that now like some of the teams that he was supposed to be interested in like the Rams he's not interested in them anymore because they're awful like they've gone from defending Super Bowl champs to one of the worst teams in the NFL anyway now he's visiting Dallas take that for what it's worth to the Cardinals' side of things, Wolf, the um, the Patrick Peterson stuff that came out last week, and I'm sure you talked about it. I wasn't here for that. I mean, I saw it, and I heard Patrick Peterson's response. But what it has essentially elicited is responses now from Kyler's current teammates. I'm going to start, actually. This is Steve Keim on with Burns and Gambo on Friday. They asked him about Patrick Peterson calling out Kyler Murray.
3: I don't pay attention to it. I, I, uh, I got enough on my plate. You know, four kids at home, and uh, obviously the the job that um, that I have to do, and the pressure that comes with it. I have, I don't, yeah, I'm sort of uh, out of the loop on all that stuff. I don't have social media either. So, but um, you know, guy was great for ten years for the Cardinals, and certainly have a lot of gratitude for what he did for us.
0: Okay, so to me, that's the Patrick Peterson side of things. But the other part of this now is you have teammates, specifically offensive linemen talking about Kyler Murray. Kelvin Beecham, when he talks especially about his quarterback, I listen, Wolf, because remember in the offseason when there was all those questions about Kyler, does he study enough? Uh, What's the deal with with him basically demanding a new contract through his agent in, like, February? There was all that, is he a good leader, all that. You, You had... You had the camps where it was like, Kyler's perfect. There's nothing wrong with Kyler. Why? Yeah. What do you, there's nothing to see here. Yeah. And then you had the, the camps that wouldn't attach their name to it that were like, no, he's horrible and everybody hates him. Kelvin Beecham was the guy that would tell it like it is. He's not perfect, but he's getting better. So here's Kelvin Beecham again yesterday.
4: You know, Patrick has been on the lead for a long time. Uh, he knows what to say and how to say it. You know, what I would say about Kyler is he's continued to mature. Uh, he's continued to get better in that regard. Uh, we know that by no means there's nobody perfect. Um, each of us has flaws, but I think Kyler's doing everything that he can to make sure that he's putting his best foot forward week in, week out. Um, he's continuing to show up. He's continuing to, to engage his team, teammates outside of the building, which I'm happy about. Um, and I think he's doing everything that he possibly can and growing and maturing. At the end of the day, some are still 24 years old. Um, you know, even though he has a lot of pressure and a lot of things that come along with that, um, he's doing what is necessary for him to mature and be the quarterback that we need him to be.
1: Can we sign Calvin Beecham once again? Can we just go ahead and bring him back right now?
0: <laughs> well, we've got room on the offensive line because nobody's signed past
1: this year. Oh, um, hey, man, think about that right there. Don't say that again, Luke, okay? But well, DJ Humphreys remember, is signed passage, oh, yeah, well, That's else. great. Rodney well, Hudson, Hudson but he is yeah, not right, even exactly. playing Exactly, that's a problem right there. Calvin Beecham. Uh, I want him back, man. I want him back. Not only has he played a very solid right tackle, but he also is one of the leaders that um, you need inside this locker room. I don't think there's any doubt about that. Not only is he remarkably uh, bright, but he also is very, very physical. You watch him play the game. This guy is a physical presence. He loves coming off the ball and putting the gut all over somebody and moving it with his butt. It's one of the things that he does very, very well, and it's a mentality as well, a mentality that needs to be alive and well, not only inside that offensive line room, but also inside the entire team.
0: I don't hate the idea of having him around. Lasita Smith either, because Lasita Smith has been one of the brighter spots among the young players for the Cardinals this season. And Lasita Smith was on the Cardinals Corner podcast with Jem and Tyler Drake, uh, which was this late last week, talking about the whole
4: situation. And here's Lasita talking about his quarterback. I'm gonna just say it. Uh, I feel like a lot of people look at him as this selfish guy and a guy that only cares about himself. But being on the inside, you know, not on the outside looking in, being on the inside. I I see that he cares about guys. I can speak personally and say that if um, if it's pre-practice and I'm snapping some balls and I'm snapping to him, he'll tell me, hey, you know, it's a little left or a little right or snap it harder. Like, get it back there. It's all good. Just get it to me. Or if I'm doing something like, hey, just go out there. And, you know, you'll see it on episode two of Hard Arts. Yeah. Like, he's telling me, don't think. Just go out there and play ball. So um, he may not. He may, so to so some people, he may not have the best character. They may not know him like some of us do on the inside. But he's a good dude, and he definitely looks out for his guys
1: well there you go right there and you know what his teammates matter there's no doubt about it lasita smith is a young guy he's trying to make his way as a rookie as well his head spinning a little bit but that was one of the things that i also took away from hard knocks is when you had kyler murray telling him hey listen you know what you're, you're thinking too much that's good advice, it really is. Especially sound for a advice. Especially when you consider the fact Calvin Beecham also said to Lasita Smith, Play football. Play football. <laughs> Remember when he was yelling at him? <laughs> yes. Play football. Why was he telling him that he's he's telling him quit thinking. Play football. The highlight of hard
0: knocks has still been Lescita Smith at dinner, being like, "The people will go easy on me if I struggle against Aaron Donald, right?" And Kelvin Beachum just looking at him. Yeah, Yo. <laughs> here's one more from uh, from Lasita's on the Cardinals Quarter podcast.
4: If the guy really did not care, I mean, he wouldn't be spending all, he wouldn't be spending the majority of his days in the building, mm-hmm. putting in extra work, watching film with Colt McCoy, the whole nine, and and correcting guys like me, or even getting into it. Like, you know, I think a lot of people took that clip of him and D-Hop going at yeah. it and took it the wrong way but if he didn't care he wouldn't have even said it he'd be like alright whatever mm-hmm. whatever I'll get you the ball when I get it to you mm-hmm. but that's not the case you know he he, guys go like go. They're, they're both going back and forth like that because they're very passionate about this game that they love that they've yeah. been playing for some time now if a guy didn't care he would just sit back on the bench I mean the guy he just signed that contract extension. He is paid. He has the money. Mm-hmm. If that's what people want to think it's about, he has the money. So why would he still be in here, spend the majority of his days, like I said, doing extra film and putting in the extra work and going back and forth? Uh, with guys on the field about, hey, man, I'm trying to do my job, but you got to understand, I'm going to get it to you when I can. Yeah. The whole, nah. So people got to think about it like that. You got the money. He could very easily sit back and kick his feet up, yeah. but that's not the case. Mm-hmm. So there's passion there.
0: In, in terms of of people, what they think about Kyler Murray, Wolf, yeah. the, the, the ones that matter the most to me, I'm not saying other people's opinions are wrong. I'm just saying the, the ones whose opinions matter the most to me are the guys blocking for what? it. Because <laughs> <laughs> if
1: they don't like oh, him, I you're, you're, you're never going to start winning. The guy's blocking the specifically him for the him, Specifically the
0: Kelvin Beachums and the LaSita Smiths and DJ Humphries and Rodney Hudson. I was
1: going to say his teammates. His teammates,
0: know? yes. Right.
1: Specifically the guys blocking for him, though. Yeah, you know, honestly, um, LaSita Smith has got me a little um, optimistic. He does. And it's because I, I think they may have actually found a guy that could possibly be a starter going forward. LaSita Smith. This guy is really, really bright. You can hear it. And not only that, he loves the game of football and will engage in the game. And he's also, like Calvin Beecham, a truth teller. And I like that about him.
0: Well, you talk about confidence being the currency of professional sports, too. When you get through that first start against Aaron Donald, I would assume you're (laughs) confident you can do that. You survived Aaron Donald in your first start. Whether it was Aaron Donald's best like whether he was completely locked in or not, whatever, you got through it. So I'm assuming most weeks ahead, yeah, you're lining up against NFLers, but it's not Aaron Donald in your first start. Uh, all week this week listen for the Pantera call out and once you hear Wolf do the call out dial 602-260-9870 you'll win tickets to see Metallica with Pantera at State Farm Stadium on September 1st pretty good deal. Uh, we come back ASUs losing some key players to the portal they're also going to get some though from the portal. How are the Sun Devils looking? We're going to ask the publisher for Sun Devils Source. Chris Cartman will join us next. It's Wolf and Luke on Arizona Sports The Local Sports Leader. Wolf and Luke Middays, Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Hi, welcome back to the show. Over to college football. ASU starting to build something. We'll see what it is. I think a lot of people are finally encouraged about what's going on over in Tempe. Chris Cartman of SunDevilSource.com joining us on the Arizona Sports Line right now. Uh, Chris, thank you for the time and uh, I guess let's just start here with a somewhat vague question but I think it's worth asking. You're around this team a lot and I know they're not playing right now but how different does the vibe feel around the program in Tempe now as opposed to even like two months ago?
3: Yeah, it's quite a difference. Um, I think you have just a bunch of mixed sort of emotions. You have players who feel like they were kind of maybe let down by what happened over the last year, year and a half or so. Some guys were disgruntled, felt like um, there was some frustrations that had been expressed, guys liking and retweeting things that were kind of um, negative commentary uh, on the the previous staff. But then you also at the same time have a flood of interest and excitement about what some of the new coaches will, will bring, I think especially on the offensive side. Um, understanding Kenny Dillingham's background and what Bo Baldwin did and a couple of these other assistant coaches that they've added more recently and the conversation being around um, attacking, being uh, fast-paced, up-tempo. Um, I've actually had a, a couple players reach out to me unprompted to tell me that they're kind of excited and that maybe one of the biggest positives for asu in that regard is when those transfer portal opened up yesterday there were some big names that were not in the portal for from asu especially elijah badger jaylen conyers um ben scott and uh Trent Bourget. so i think they are really sort of engaged on what the future might look, especially on the offensive side, and there's some intrigue.
1: Chris, for the record, um, did you were you in favor of the Kenny Dillingham hire?
3: I thought um, definitely it was better hire than the last several at ASU. Um, was it a home run? That's, I, I wouldn't go that far just because he has never been a head coach and it was his first year as a play caller, but I think it was a good hire primarily because what he has that the previous coaches did not have was a local course knowledge. You know, the, the being at ASU growing up in Scottsdale, understanding the challenges that have kept ASU from being successful in the past and how those things have basically been intractable over the last couple of decades. Those are things he's not learning as he's going. And I think Herm Edwards, Todd Graham, Dennis Erickson, they, either figured out things after some years on the job and it was too late, or or they never figured out some things that they needed, especially as it relates to local recruiting, uh, the importance of building a staff that's uh, comprised to recruit the region uh, where ASU's best teams have been most successful with recruiting and and the players that they've got out of the state and, and then California primarily And then also understanding all the opponents in the in the conference, the type of of schemes that are being played, how you need to assemble your roster and uh, install your schemes in order to be able to be successful. Dillingham checks all those boxes. I would say the last four coaches over the twenty years or so that ASU's had before that, maybe at most they've checked like one of those boxes. So that I think puts ASU. Uh, much further along with Dillingham, despite the fact that he's the youngest coach in the country and uh, one of the least experienced.
0: Talking to Chris Cartman, publisher of SunDevilSource.com. Uh, Chris, one of the things, if you just go big picture, it's just good to see the program start to take steps forward and not just be hanging out in football purgatory like it feels like they were for the last you know year and a half, two years. Is, is the sense just kind of like the NCAA may take forever with this? We have to just start moving forward now?
3: Yeah, that NCAA is just notoriously so slow. Um, you know, you keep hearing m- movement backward of when there's going to be some resolution on this, and that makes it kind of tough to predict when it actually might happen. I'm I'm very confident that it will be within within the next 6 to 8 months. Um, you know, can't say for sure, but um there's going to be some some challenges they, they're going to have and they already have uh, self-imposed some recruiting restrictions uh, this year um, that they know that they're going to extend and have to in terms of the, the, how much contact they have with recruits, uh, how many days their coaches spend on the road recruiting, the number of official visitors that they have on their campus uh, and even and even scholarships. Uh, restrictions. I, I don't know that that's going to hurt them significantly um, when so many of the additions that they're going to get are via the transfer portal. That's largely how Billingham's going to build his roster. I would say an overwhelming number, more than two thirds, maybe even three quarters of all their new players are, are going to be from the transfer portal. Uh, a bunch of them will. will, will join uh from the next several weeks um before the portal closes um in the third week of january i think and then there'll be another run on those guys that will take place following the conclusion of spring ball um like in april may so uh and and there's going to be more of that than we've ever seen not just at asu but around the country it's already happening
1: who are some of the most significant Sun Devils that are going to enter the transfer portal and are in the transfer portal for the Sun Devils? Who are those guys?
3: Right, so there's about five of them um, so far. Ladarius Henderson is leaving ASU to go to Michigan. Uh, took one day for him, ASU's top offensive lineman who missed the second half of the season with a finger injury, one day for him to go from asu to michigan uh joe moore is a starting defensive end uh who was one of asu's top pass rushers he's in the portal omar norman lot was a starting three technique tackle before he kind of had some injury issues and other things that uh made for somewhat of a disappointing season Uh, he's in the portal um, so it, it's really more of their their more of their defensive players, I think, have been impacted. The Darius Henderson is the the biggest one, um, but as I said, there's some some key guys that 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 aren't in the portal, and they're sort of taking a wait and see approach.
0: Talking to Chris Cartman of Sun Devil Source, uh, Chris, this past season, three and nine. I cannot remember a worse season for the program, especially considering all the stuff that was, you know, peripheral to just the record. Uh I I guess two part question. Was this sort of the low point that you've covered with the program? And then the second part, how quickly is Kenny Dillingham's vision realistically gonna be able to turn things around?
3: Yeah, I would say it was the low point. Um people will remember that Todd Graham had really bad defenses in like twenty sixteen. Give or take a year, over a two-year stretch, they were really quite, quite bad. But uh, they weren't as bad on offense, and they weren't as bad in recruiting. I think the their the overall dramatic drop off that ASU went through as a result of the the NCAA investigation, all of their staff um, departures, resignations, um, firings, and it, it basically. Um, an 18 month period where there was almost no recruiting. The only time ever since, uh, they've had services, uh, that cover recruiting on the internet that they ha- that they d- didn't get a four star recruit for over a period of a year. Um, that, that puts you really behind the eight ball, uh, with, with what you're trying to do moving forward. The roster went from having eight NFL combines, invites more than anybody in the Pac 12, probably being as talented as any in the Pac 12 to not being probably a top half of the conference, um, in, in talent. And I think the coaching was quite poor as well. Uh, and that's, that's almost to be expected when Antonio Pierce and Zach Hill left their posts in February and almost all coaches that are, that are have a lot of value in the marketplace, uh, have already made their decisions on their next jobs by December or, or at the latest, maybe January. So, uh, the staff, I've, I've said this pretty consistently, even even early in the season, there were some perplexing ways that they utilized their personnel that was different than what guys were seemingly best suited for. You look at Roe Torrance, Tark Luckett, they have athletic safeties, Chris Edmonds, Corey Bethley, and they were playing a bunch of relaxed zone coverages. They have guys up front that are built to, to uh, pressure, and they were not blitzing, and they were basically going straight ahead. Uh, it was a, it was a very predictable, uh, style on defense that teams were able to exploit. And then offensively, um, they just didn't really, uh, open up the throttle nearly early enough with their passing attack. Uh, I think they were slow with their quarterback situation and, uh, they didn't get their tight ends and running backs nearly involved in the passing game as early as I think it was pretty obvious that they should have.
0: Well, Chris, we appreciate the time as always, man. We'll talk to you again soon. Thank
1: you, Chris.
3: Sounds
0: great. Thanks, Scott. Thanks. That's uh, Chris Cartman, the publisher of com, joining us right there. Wolf, I was just double-checking the records because I was like, I don't—ASU 3-9, and nine, I don't remember them ever being that bad. They did have a year, to be fair, where they were 0-8-1 back in 1937. 1937. Uh, been a while. Even that's still not nine losses. Wow. <laughs> it's only eight. They, they have never had a nine-loss season. Now, you get back into the 1900s where they were going like 0-3, Okay, maybe, you know, it's not. But I would say this is the low point of, you know, modern day football. Yes. For ASU. Uh, all right, when we come back, speaking of low points, just of this season, <laughs> what happened to Devin Booker and DeAndre Ayton in Dallas last night? It's Wolf and Lucas no! Arizona Sports, the local sports league.